make some noise for Jesus. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Would you make some noise for Jesus this morning? He's the reason why we're here. He's the reason why we do what we do. Come on, one more time. Press in a little bit. I didn't say stop. Come on, make some noise. Just the 9 o'clock. We got to wake up a little bit, right? Oh, man, I'm so excited, so thankful for this opportunity that we get to gather like this. And listen, if you are new here, uh, we're so excited that you're here. And listen, we have something that we want to place in your hands. So before you leave here today, please stop by our welcome tent on your way out. Uh, we have something that we want to give you just as a way to say thank you for being with us today. And listen, today I'm excited because we're kicking off a brand new collection uh, called Make Room. Uh, we uh, here at the Becoming Church, we speak in what we call uh, collections. And, and, and basically you may be familiar with sermon series or message series. It's the same thing, but we just call it collection. Why? I don't know. I guess it just sounds good. But we speak in collections here. And so today we're kicking off a new collection called Make Room. And I think it would be uh, appropriate on this Sunday to, to kick off this series called Make Room when we are literally doing that by going to two gatherings as a church community. That this is the first Sunday uh, that we're kicking off with uh, two services. But this idea of making room, it's not just about something that God is doing uh, something that's happening physically, but I believe this idea about making room is about what God wants to do spiritually in us and through us. Are we willing to make room for what God wants to do? Are we willing to, to remove things in our lives that can be distractions that Micah talked about earlier to make room, to position ourselves for what God wants to do? Because I believe this, you see it, whether it's through the, the Asbury revival or, or uh, outpouring, whatever you want to call it, or the things that have broken out uh, across other college campuses across our nation, that God is doing something, that he's doing something in these days. And it's important for us, for those of us who follow Jesus, to pay attention to what he's doing, to, to link up and connect to what he's doing. And I believe that today is a great conversation to have about making room. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be asking this question, how do we make room? How do we make room for others? How do we make room for more? How do we make room for miracles? But today, we're going to kick it off with this conversation how do we make room for God? And I have just a single verse uh, that's going to help us lead off in that conversation today. And it's Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42. So you can flip with me there, scroll with me there, or you can connect here on the screen behind me. But it says this. They, talking about the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Come on, would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful, we're thankful, Lord, for this morning. God, thank you for this moment that we share. God, we thank you for what you're doing. Lord, we pray over these next few moments, God, that you will open up our eyes, allow us to see what it is that you're speaking to us. Lord, open up our ears. God, we want to be inclined to hear what it is that you have to say to us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. In fact, you're already here because you're omnipresent. So Lord, make us more aware of you. We need you. Come on, you believe that this morning? Lord, we need you. So God, we don't want a TED talk. God, we want revelation. God, that would lead to transformation. So position us to hear from you because we're your servants 
And we say this, speak, Lord, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said, come on, come on, everybody said, amen, and amen. Family, we just, we just moved uh, this week, and um, I am convinced that I don't want to move again anytime soon. Are you with me this morning? I don't know if I get a better amen than that right there. But moving is a whole thing. It's, it's so much involved, and, and our house is, is chaotic right now. There's boxes everywhere. There's things uh, that I'm finding that I didn't even know that we own. There's so much stuff is popping up, except this one thing that I'm looking for. I can't find my Apple TV. The Apple TV is important. It's the one that goes in my office. I found the one in the living room. I found the one uh, in, in, in the family space, but I can't find this one for my office. And I'm opening up boxes. I'm throwing things out. There's clutter everywhere, bags everywhere. I found the remote, and I meant to bring it this morning. I found the remote, but I can't find that little device, and it's frustrating. And I'm doing all that I can to find this thing. I got Katie looking forward. I got the kids looking forward. My dad uh, was, because we took some stuff to their house and we're on FaceTime. He's going through some boxes that we had there. He can't find, I can't find this thing. And it's interesting because I'm trying to remove all the clutter. I'm trying to remove the boxes. I'm trying to remove the bags, all the things that we got in our house to get to this one thing that I want. And maybe you're tracking with where I'm going is that sometimes I think that's how it looks for us when it comes to God. That for us, we can look like our life, our situation can look like our messy, moved-in house. That there's boxes, there's, there's clutter, there's debris, there's all these things that are getting in the way from us connecting and growing closer to God and becoming who that person is that he desires us to be. So today... I want us to learn from the early followers of Jesus and see how can we make room for God in our lives to where we are growing a spiritually alive and healthy, connected life. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? And so we're going to use Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 to help guide that conversation. But before we do that, to give us some context uh, here to this point in Acts chapter 2, uh, there are, are three things that I want to highlight. Like, we see the beginning of the church, and here's how it happens. First, the Holy Spirit fills uh, believers in Jerusalem. So now the Holy Spirit has filled believers, has filled the followers of Jesus, and now they're equipped to go and be who God has called them to be. They're, they're equipped to be his witnesses. And in fact, that's how we are here today because of what happened in that room and what began to spread across the world. And so the Holy Spirit fills believers, and then Peter begins to preach. And when he preaches, uh, he, he shows how the Old Testament prophecies uh, pointed to Jesus as being the Jewish Messiah and how he was indeed that Messiah. And through that, thirdly, people believed. Scripture tells us that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. I mean, you talk about awakening. You talk about uh, revival. You talk about an outpouring that he preached, and 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Not just added to the church. They're being baptized. All these things are happening. It's the beginning 
of the church that we see. And I'll just hit this one more time. That if you didn't, if you have made a decision for Jesus at any point, I want to encourage you, family, that don't stop right there, but to be water baptized. Because you say, well, why? Why? Is it, is it, is it a commandment? No, it's not. You, you have been saved if you have put your faith in Jesus. But here's what baptism, water baptism does. It proclaims, one, that I've said no to who I used to be, and I'm stepping into who I'm becoming. That who I was has been crucified with Christ when you go down in that water, and when you come out, you're raised to new life. And so I want to encourage you to be water baptized if you have not. But the church exploded from this moment. So here's the opportunity we have is to stop and pause and see, okay, what did they do from this moment on? You got the Holy Spirit filling believers. You got Peter preaching and 3,000 people being saved and and repenting. and, And you got people being water baptized. What was next? And that's what we're going to dive into today. And I think it's, it's, it's a similar point and spot that our church is at. So here we are. We turned one year old last week. So this is our 53rd week. And last week, I think you could clap for it. That's a good, that's a good point. Good spot to clap. But last Sunday, we had our highest attendance to date uh, at the Becoming Church. So we can stop and say, man, look what God has done in a year. Hundreds of people, over 100 people have have given their life to Jesus. Dozens of people have been baptized. All kind of stories and miracles and things that God has done in 52 weeks. I believe this, that God is on the move. I believe this, that God is doing something special here in this church. That doesn't mean that he's not doing something special anywhere else. Don't, Don't think that I'm saying. But I'm telling you that God is doing something here in this community. And so here is what we, where we find ourselves, just like the early church of saying, okay, what's next? And that's what I want to lead us into, is how to make room for God. Because if we're going to make room for anything, that's who we should make room for. And so really quickly, we're going to jump right into this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Make room for scripture. Make room for scripture. So where do you place the value of scripture? Do you see scripture as a collection of suggestions or do you see it as a guide to live in the life that God desires us to live? Because it says in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now the apostles' teaching wasn't just their ideas, but it was to scripture. 2 Timothy, look what Paul, the Apostle Paul, he writes this letter to uh, his mentee named Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness. So here's the thing. If we're going to be followers of the way of Jesus, which the early church, they were called followers of the way. If we're going to be followers of the way of Jesus, we must be Followers of his word. Are you tracking with me this morning? We can't see his words as merely suggestions, but we have to see them as a way of life that we choose to put into practice. Yes, I'm talking about practice. That's why Jesus would say in Luke 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord? 
but you do not put into practice. You actually do not do what I say. So we can't find ourselves saying, Lord, I love you. Lord, I give you my life. Lord, I give myself away. I wasn't going to sing it for real, right? Lord, this and Lord, that I need you. I trust you. I follow you. I put my faith, my trust, all these things in you. But we do not do what he says. Because then we have to ask that question, is he really Lord, Lord? But unfortunately, family, some of us, we have chosen to live that way. Where we separate the words of Jesus from the person of Jesus. And here's what we can't do. We can't divorce the words of Jesus from the person of Jesus. Look at what John 1, chapter 1, verse 1 says. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. So let's slow down a little bit. In the beginning was the word. You see the, the word there, every, the, the three times it appears, it's capitalized. When would you normally capitalize word in the middle of a sentence? Now, if you're writing a name, you're going to capitalize someone's name. So that's telling us something. The word here. The, the word word is not just merely word, but it's pointing to Jesus. So you can read this as saying, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Are you tracking with me this morning? So in the beginning was the word, or in the beginning was Jesus. And the word or Jesus was with God, and the word or Jesus was God. I feel like I see something happen. Are y'all seeing what I'm seeing right here? All right, there's three of you who don't, so I got, I got more for you. We can drop, drop down, jump down to John 1, verse 14. Look what it says. The word, there it is, capitalized again. How does word become flesh? No, am I tripping? Am I missing that? It says the word became flesh. So that means Jesus is who it's talking about. That he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. What am I saying, family? The reason we can't divorce the words of Jesus from the person of Jesus is because they are one in the same. That Jesus is the word. So we can't be people who find ourselves saying, man, I, I just love Jesus. Like He's my best friend. Jesus, would you please take the will? Jesus, would you be my guide? But yet we never find ourselves in the word, right? We have to be people of his word. We must hold true to the teachings of Jesus. And I mean all the words of Jesus, all the teachings of Jesus, the one that points us to humility, the one that, that, that calls us to be peacemakers, the one that says, listen, you need to love your neighbor. Because oftentimes if we do find ourselves in the word, we'll find ourselves choosing the ones that will make us feel better, not the ones that will call us up to a higher standard. Because he's the same one that is saying, listen, love your neighbor, be a peacemaker. Yes, the pro we, we love this one. We love the promises of God are yes and amen. But rarely do we ever quote, be holy as I am holy. 
Oh, you talking that holiness stuff. That's that old school stuff. That's that Old Testament stuff. He's the one that Jesus says, listen, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it, right? He's just showing us like, no, this is the better way. I did what you couldn't do. So now you don't have to keep all those things, but you can put your faith and your trust in me and live in this new covenant of grace that I represent. So we can't reduce Jesus down to someone who simply gets us what we want. That's not who he is. He's not a genie in the bottle. He's not Burger King. You can have it your way. He's not a la carte. He's not a four for four, if you will. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he is holy. And what he said, we must be attentive to the full counsel of the word of God. We can't love the promises of God, but dismiss the call to holiness. So listen, family, if we're going to make room for God, we must make room for Scripture and hold in high regard, ultimately, where we are not just, as James talks about, hearers of the word, but doers of the word. I think oftentimes that's where we get in trouble because people say, man, you use the Bible as a bat. You'll beat people with it, but you actually never live it. And so we have to make sure that we're not just hearers of the word, but we are doers of the word. So we must make room for scripture. Here's what else we must do this morning. We must make room for community. You know, oftentimes we consider our vertical relationship to God, but we dismiss our horizontal relationship to others. And what, here's what I've discovered, that my vertical relationship to God is oftentimes stronger when my horizontal relationship to others is connected, that I've grown when I've been horizontally connected and in relationship to those around me. So that means if we're going to make room for God, it means making room for community. So I know some of you may know the old song, as long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. Y'all know that one? And it's great. I get the heart of it. I get the intent of it. Unfortunately or fortunately, it's just not accurate. No, we, we do need others. You know, when God says in Genesis that it's not good for man to live alone, he's not talking about finding a wife. He's talking about being in community. That wasn't a scripture about marriage, but it was a scripture. It was a point about being connected, about living in community together. And so look at Acts 2.42. This is our verse this morning. It tells us that they were devoted to fellowship. Now, the catch is, oftentimes we think we have community when in reality we just know people. Oh, yeah, I know them. They grew up over, you know, over on Bonnell. I know them. Yeah, we cool. They used to, someone used to stay off water. Went to Sparkman. Yeah, I know who they are. That's not community, family. That's just knowing someone. True community is marked by intentional and authentic relationship. Who are you allowing yourselves to be authentic with? Who knows the real you? Not the one that everyone sees maybe on social media or at the big gathering, but who knows you? 
Who are you intentional with? So, so here's a question that I want to pose. Who are you sharing your life with? Who knows what ticks you off? Who knows what you struggle with? Who knows what gets on your nerve? Who knows what keeps you up at night? Because here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus just didn't live his life, but he shared his life. That's why in Mark 10.45, he says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life away, to give his life as a ransom for many. Who are you giving your life away to? Who can you celebrate with? Who can you call to pray with? Who can you call to cry with? Who is there that's believing in you and calling the best out of you? Who is that person? Who is that tribe? Because, listen, Sunday morning cannot be the only expression of community that we have. That the Sunday gathering is only an expression of what living in community looks like, but is not the full thing. Are you tracking with me? That Sunday should just be a celebration of life moments that have taken place from Monday through Saturday. Here's the thing. If we get Monday through Saturday right, it's going to enhance Sunday because then Sunday just becomes an extension of what's been happening all week. And so, yes, here's a plug. That means you should join a belong group. Today is the final day where that directory is going to be open. And we have 17 groups that you can choose from. And that's 17 opportunities that you can gather at the table, if you will. There's 17 opportunities that you can connect with others in life. Because, listen, revelation will happen on Sunday, but transformation happens through the week. So you can come in here and you can receive revelation, but the transformation is going to take place Monday through Saturday. And the best way for that to happen is to be connected to others in a belong group. Think about your life and some of the most memorable moments. When did they happen? They perhaps happened around the table. Whether it was the story that was told, if it was the, the weird thing that somebody did in your family or your friend group that just became a thing now. And every time you see each other, you reference that thing, right? A lot of amazing stories and most memorable moments happen around the table. That's why you will often see Jesus around the table. He found himself around the table a lot. And he was around the table with sinners and tax collectors and those who were deemed socially unacceptable. But in the same way, he also found himself around the table with those who were wealthy and maybe were deemed socially acceptable. And here's what he was doing in both of those instances. He was showing us that no matter your struggle, no matter your issues, no matter your pain, your hurt, or disappointment, that you have a seat at the table, that you belong at the table. So listen to me. Don't you let your past stop you from connecting. Don't you let the fear of what they may think, the fear of what they may say, the fear if they discover who you used to be to stop you from connecting. Because, listen, your life will be infinite better if you find yourself connected in community. Because the enemy will want nothing more than for us to find ourselves 
isolated on some playground where he begins to play on our minds. And we'll find ourselves in that place where our mind is playing tricks on us. But when you are connected in community, you have a place where you can release your hurt, your thoughts like, yo, will you believe with me in this? Will you pray with me in this? Will you trust God that he's going to do this thing with me in this? That's why we need community. That's why we need to be connected. We need to be together. Belong groups is not just something that's cool to do because you're a church community. No, it's a way of life. It's the way God designed us. He said it is not good for man to be alone. Community is represented in the Trinity. You've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So in the same way, why would we find ourselves and allow ourselves to be isolated? No, God says, make room for community. Do life together. Jesus had friends. He showed up at a wedding. He wept when he found out Lazarus had died. You only do that when you are connected and in community with others. We must make room for community. Making room for God isn't just about the health of our vertical relationship, but it's also about the health of our horizontal relationship within community. So we're gonna make room for God by making room for scripture, making room for community, and then lastly today, making room by making room for prayer. So look at this quote by Martin Luther, not the civil rights leader, but the reformer. It says this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. In other words, he's saying it's hard to be a Christian if we don't pray. Because a Christian who doesn't pray is a Christian in title, but not in practice. It's that whole practice thing we talked about. I mean, can you imagine this? Like, what would a marriage look like if there was no communication? Can you imagine just two people there existing in a home, but yet never having communication? Right? That you, we would say that's not a strong marriage. That's not a healthy marriage. It's not a vital marriage that there's been some breakdown somewhere. Why? Because communication is a connector. Communication, it connects my heart closer to Katie's. It helps me to grow closer to her. It helps me to understand her. Now, it hasn't helped me to understand the time spent in Target, but I believe... We're getting there. <laughs> but it helps me to see what she sees. And in the same way, as we're closing this morning, in the same way, family, prayer to God is communication with God. And if we never pray to God, how are we connecting to him? That it can't just be this thing, well, I know he's there. I know he knows the need. I know he knows what's going on. no. He says, pray. In fact, he gives conditions. If my people will pray, then I will. Because prayer changes things. That's why, look, Acts 2.42, they were devoted to scripture, to fellowship, and to prayer. Why? Because prayer is a difference maker. We don't still get to be here from what they did all those years ago if they were not people who prayed. That it was their prayer who ignited a thing. 
It was their prayer that says, in the middle of this persecution, in the middle of probably going to lose my life because of the Roman government, I'm going to pray and be attentive and gather because this is what our Lord calls us to. Prayer is an accelerator. Prayer is the thing that speeds things up. You've got something that's been lagging in your life. I'm going to ask you, have you prayed about it? It'll accelerate it. It'll lead you to the place where God wants you to get to. Prayer is powerful. Listen, a Christian that isn't devoted to prayer is a Christian that lacks the power and the ability to make a difference. That's cool. You say, I got willpower. Well, listen, it's going to take more than willpower to make a difference. It takes prayer that contains power to make a difference. That's why James 5, 16 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You're not just shooting words up to the sky. Are you hearing me? But you are praying to a God who hears you, who sees you, who knows you, and knows what the need is. But see, here's what I've discovered, is that oftentimes we find ourselves worrying about it instead of praying about it. That we get the news, we see the problem, we see the issue, and instantly, instead of praying about it, we begin to worry about it. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this takes place? What if that takes place? No, pause and pray about it. God, I trust you for this. Lord, I believe that you can move in this thing. Is there anything too hard for my God? I think not. You're the same God that did miracles then, and you're the same God that would step into the middle of this situation and make a way where they said there was no way. Prayer is powerful. Look at Philippians 4, 6. You might trip a little bit about this. This is how some of us read it. We say, do be anxious about anything or everything. In every situation, by anxiety and worry and much complaining, present your fears to God. But that's not what that scripture says, is it? What does it actually say? It actually says this. Do not be anxious about anything. In every situation, we need to find ourselves by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. Can we put up the actual, do we got it? There we go. No, we got one more version of that Philippians 4, 6. We're not going to leave with that one up there. Did we not get that one in? We're going to read it again. I want you to know this. That's how we interpret it. We choose anxiety. But this is what scripture actually says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer, not by anxiety, not by worry, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Be thankful already. You said, Lord, I thank you before I've seen it. Because oftentimes the miracle is not in what he will do. The miracle is what you believe that he can do. Because maybe it's a perspective shift that you need anyway. Maybe it's not going to change. Maybe it's a lesson that he's teaching you. And he says, I want to lead you to a place of prayer because there's a new perspective that I need you to have about this. And maybe this has to be the thorn in your side that will allow you to continue to live in a certain way that people can see how you live with that thorn and know and see how you trust God and it says if that's the God that you can trust that you pray for that thorn to be removed but yet it's still there and you still have joy you still have excitement that's a God that I want to serve that perspective only happens when you find yourself in a place of prayer 
We make room for God by making room for prayer. And oftentimes we miss having a prayer life because we don't realize how easy it is. Prayer is easy. Slow down before you leave the house every day or when you get in the car. Lord, I thank you for traveling to my destination. You just pray. You step into your office, and you know you got a meeting in 10 minutes. Lord, I pray for this meeting. I pray for continuity. I pray for peace. I pray for this discussion. You just pray. That was 10 seconds. The meeting is over. God, I thank you for how that meeting went. I thank you that you provided clarity. You just pray. Now you get ready to go to lunch. Lord, lead me to the right place. God, if there's a person I'm going to encounter, give me the words to say to speak life to them. You just pray. Are you tracking with me this morning? Prayer is easy, and before you know it, when you get home and you're laying your head down, you've been connecting to God all day. And so now the thoughts that you get in your head, they're not you. But that's the Lord speaking to you because you've opened up this channel of connection, of prayer. And now the thoughts, now the ideas, now the Spirit of God is speaking to you. You don't even know it yet, but it's because you've opened it and unlocked this constant channel of communication. Listen. The power of prayer is not realized in its complexity, but it's realized in its authenticity. You don't need the thieves, the thous, the thugs, and everything else. You just say, Lord, here I am, broken, messed up, jacked up, and needing you in this situation. And he'll take that and do something more than the person with the thous, thieves, and that, because they've allowed this roadblock of how they want to look. But he's like, listen, I know your mess. Will you just be real with me? Will you just be authentic with me? So don't worry about a complex prayer. No, the best prayer and the most powerful prayer is an authentic prayer. Acts 2, 46 through 47. It says this. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in the homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And here it is, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So how do we make room for God? Yes, make room for scripture, make room for community, make room for prayer. But family, it's not just an every now and again thing. It says every day they did this. See, the early Christians, they were not content with just a once-a-week gathering. They met daily. They cared daily. They served daily. They prayed daily. They studied scripture daily. Souls were won daily, and they increased daily. You know, it's easy to think that making room for God is about what he will do when, it's re when in reality it's about what are we willing to do? Are we willing to get along with him? Are we willing to slow down and get in that place and just say, Lord, it is me in your word? Are we willing to say, you know what, I do need to be connected to a group. I do need to get in community. You know what, my prayer life has not been strong the way that it should. I'm going to make room for prayer. Because of what these people did, the early church, it ignited something. And because of what they did, you and I were here today because of that. They could have just stopped when the persecution came, but they didn't. And ultimately, Rome actually became a Christian nation, and it turned the place upside down. In other words, it became a movement. Listen, family, 
when we make room for God, we position, our, we position ourselves to be part of a movement. And we're not trying to build a kingdom. But could the Becoming Church be a movement because of people who were connected to, Lord, to the Lord, who made room for him through studying scripture, through community, and through prayer? Could this be a thing that people are still talking about unless Jesus comes 150 years from now? That's what a movement is. I don't want a monument to say, look what we did. Cool, it was one year and that's awesome. No, there's, there's still people to reach. There's still people to pray for. There's still people that needs, need to hear the hope and the experience of love and forgiveness of Jesus. When we make room for God, we position ourselves to be a movement. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we're grateful. We're thankful. We thank you for who you are. Lord, we're here and we're making room for you, for your word, God's living in community with others, and God for prayer with you. But listen, while your head, heads are bowed, the best way that you can make room for God is to give him your life, to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus. And if you have yet to make a decision, listen, I'm not going to make this long, but I want to invite you to that place to say yes to Jesus, where you can receive his love, receive his forgiveness, to repent of your sins and choose to live for him. And so while all heads are bowed, if that's you, with no one looking around, we just simply raise your hand. I'm not going to make this long. I just want to pray a prayer, lead you in a prayer this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, God, I thank you, Lord, that we all in here have said yes to you. And so, Lord, because of that yes that we've given already, Lord, that we will continually make room for you. God, help us to slow down. We won't live a hurried life, but we can live at the pace of your grace. So, God, that we're not just building a, a monument but we're part of a movement. God, we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, will y'all give it up for Jesus this morning? Come on, you can make some noise as you stand to your feet.